Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Mind Shifters Radio with the Forgiveness Doctor, Dr. Michael Rice. I'm Jeannie Rice, your co-host. We also have co-hosts Dr. Tim Hayes and Michelle Pichet. We will share with you the wisdom of the first century Aramaic internal process of forgiveness. We offer tools and support five days a week. We will support you in building a solid foundation within yourself to live in pure love in Aramaic, Brachna. Michael is the author of the book, Why Is This Happening to Me Again? For more information about the forgiveness process, please visit www.whyagain.org. And now, welcome to the show, Mind Shifters Radio. Hello and welcome to Mind Shifters Radio. I'm Tim Hayes. I'm your host for the first hour. And today is a Thursday, March 30th, 2023. As always, we're grateful to everyone who's choosing to join us here today, whether you're listening live or through the archives, as we spend another couple of hours teaching and supporting people in using some of the most powerful effective, efficient, and accessible tools I've ever encountered. These tools are available absolutely free through the tireless efforts of Dr. Michael and Jeannie Rice on the website at whyagain.org. If you go to that website and click on the two words that say start here in the upper left-hand corner, it will take you to a page where you can download and read Chapter 24 of Dr. Michael Rice's book, His book is titled, Why Is This Happening to Me Again? And that chapter of the book contains a narrative description and explanation of the primary tool in this work. That tool is called the Reality Management Worksheet, sometimes called the Reality Management Wake-Up Sheet. And it's a tool I've been using to great effect for over 18 years to improve the quality of my life and most of my relationships and to turn any negative emotional experience I have into part of the infallible guidance system that each and every one of us has been given. You can also download the actual worksheet process itself. It's a simple PDF file. Click the link, download it, print it off, copy it as often as you'd like, and use it over and over again absolutely free. You can also go to your app store and type in the three words, Heartland Aramaic Forgiveness. And if you choose to do that, before you're done typing the word forgiveness, you'll see the glowing heart icon. If you tap on that, it will let you download a completely free and private app that contains the Reality Management Worksheet, and it contains an abbreviated version of that worksheet process, as well as a copy of the Dragon Klingon game, which is a wonderful way to introduce these tools to even younger audiences. And we hope people do all of those things soon and often, because primarily because it tends to improve the quality of people's lives the more they apply these tools in their life. And secondarily, it tends to prompt comments, questions, answers, and testimonials. And if you have any of those to share with us, please do so. Give us a call at 563-999-3581. Would you call that number and press number one on your phone? It will let you alert me by putting the icon of a hand by your phone number. I'll turn on the microphone and announce you by your area code. 
and we can have a conversation. We appreciate whenever anybody does that because it makes it far easier for us to live into our intention with this work when we know what serves you best. How is it landing with you that we're spending X amount of time on this topic or that topic? What's the question you might have about how to use the worksheet process in your own life, etc.? So the call-in number again is 563-999-3581. If you call that number and press 1, we can have a conversation. Today is a Thursday. That means we will have a support group again tonight. And those support groups are available absolutely free. All the information you need to join us on Zoom for that support group from 6.30 to 9 p.m. Central Time all that information is available at mindshiftersacademy.org website. So if you go there, if you're going to join us or pass that information along to somebody else, please remember there's a separate login information page for Thursdays and for Tuesdays. So we have plenty of time for conversation. I have been... Um, working through a couple different books here lately. One of them is the the book titled Push Off From Here by Laura McGowan. It's her second book. And it's a book basically that's very good for people who are working to build a healthier life after uh, or in the process of dismantling an addiction any kind of an addiction her particular addiction had mostly to do with alcohol but uh, she calls it my thing your thing is the thing that in my life might disrupt me might make it difficult for me to function on a regular basis in a healthy way the thing that I obsess about the thing that gives me the most trouble and we've all got something or a list of things. And her book, this particular book, Push Off From Here, is her going through a list of nine statements that begin with, it's not your fault, it is your responsibility, it's not fair that this is your thing. This is your thing. And as she works through those, she's giving a very, uh, to my eye and ear, a very nice summary of what's worked for her in her life to identify the things that have been traumatic in her life, identify the ways she's tried to avoid dealing with those traumas and the effects of those traumas, and serious study, personal research, interviewing of professionals, etc., that she's done as she's trying to put together a healthy lifestyle, as she's learning, she's trying to learn how to be a healthy person, how to have healthy relationships, how to put together a loving, fun, joyful life, without using her drugs of choice. And so, again, that's Laura McGowan, and her second book is titled Push Off From Here. 
And the other book that we've been discussing here is by Christian Sundberg, and the title of that book is A Walk in the Physical. This is a a book written by somebody who's had the memory of having a pre-life experience and choosing to come here and having some memory of what it was like to be conscious without a body, to be in the what they call the non-physical, and to be consciously aware as he was in the non-physical. And the reason I the reason I uh, chose to bring that book and his work into the support groups with a video interview by him and to talk about it on this show is because it is so to my eye and ear again I'm sure other people have other takes on it but it is so much in line with the work we offer through the Kabor's manuscript through the mind shifters support groups through the mind shifter radio program through Michael Rice's reality management worksheet and the core premises of that worksheet that you are this energy of love that is your true nature at any point in time when you're not consciously focusing it on that it's just because you've forgotten it it doesn't mean your true nature has been lost to you or could ever be lost to you and so the book for me and the discussions about it tends to be very loving, positive, supportive, and that's why I bring it into the discussion. There are aspects of it that echo what I've learned from great spiritual teachers and traditions from many different sources. And um, so it isn't that we need to hammer on it or stay focused on it if you've got a an idea about it that's less than positive please share that with us if you'd rather talk about something else please let us know some of the topics that are covered in the book a walk in the physical are very common topics for us here on the internet show and in support groups topics like what is the ego and what is the value to me trying to figure things out? And can I ever figure things out? Or do I need to find an entirely different way of moving forward? And that's what Dr. Rice has learned over his years of study and work, and that's why he brings in the, the term sustained incoherence from David Bohm, the physicist, because... The essence of trying to figure it out means I create a problem with my thoughts and then I decide I'm going to try and think my way out of it. It doesn't make sense. It's not a productive thing to do. And that is, by definition, what David Bohm is referring to when he coined the term sustained incoherence. So the core of this work and the reality management worksheet is to lay out, to pay close attention to, what am I doing with my thoughts at a conscious logical level? And 
when I'm doing that and it results in any kind of a tightness or a tension or a resistance or a pain or a suffering or a negative emotion, what happens if I cancel all of that that I think I want? If I cancel my need to be right and I ask to be shown something else, what happens? How how can that be beneficial to me? And I don't want to take somebody's word for the fact that that will be beneficial for me. I want to do it and see what happens. I want to stay wide awake in the observing mode and be willing to say, okay, this is working for me, or you know what, this doesn't work for me. I'm going to go find another set of tools or a process or a teacher because I'm committed to finding a way to make my life better. And I'm not committed to a teacher. I'm not committed to a group or a religion or a school. I'm committed to making my life better and to be, as much as I can, increasingly closer and closer to 100% responsible for the experience I'm creating in my life. That's one of the primary pieces that we got from the uh, the way of mastery that we read so extensively last year and went through detailed commentaries of uh, reading the, the chapter lessons and then um, doing what we could to do a deeper dive, to pick it apart, to help make it make sense at deeper and deeper levels for the purpose of being able to do just that, make my life a better experience for me. Not to try and prove somebody else right or wrong, not to prove myself right or wrong, simply to be actively observing in my life. When I do this, here are the consequences. Do I like those consequences? Do I prefer them? Would I like to try something new? Finding different ways for me as an individual, to look at, to assess, to evaluate what are the things I'm choosing to do and how is it working out for me. Finding different ways to do that is one of the primary things I do with people in therapy. It's the core of what we do in the Mind Shifters support groups. And again, to my eye and ear, it's the core of what Dr. Michael Rice is supporting people in doing in his teachings. I have these bottom line observations that the list of 10 observations that I bring out in a first or a second session and I give a copy of it to pretty much everybody I work with in therapy. And the origin of the bottom line observations is that I used to think and this is quite quite literally the case. I used to think, I say it, you know, tongue in cheek and with some humor these days because I know better but when I was young and idealistic and in undergrad school for psychology and thinking about going to a doctorate level program I thought that everybody that taught at the doctorate level program and that everybody that was a psychiatrist or a psychologist would be somebody who had jumped quantum leaps ahead of where I was 
ahead of where the average person was, into health, into wholeness, into knowing how to create and then actually creating a healthy, loving, protect, uh, productive lifestyle for themselves. And I used to think that if I ever got my doctorate, I would be possessed of such wisdom that pearls of wisdom would come tumbling out of my mouth on a regular basis. And when the actuality of life, going through grad school, it took me nine and a half years to get the degree. I was working two and three and four jobs at a time while I was going to school. and I had to eventually drop out of going to school full-time and work only part-time on school with those various jobs I was doing. But all of those jobs I did were therapy-related jobs. So by the time I got my doctorate, I'd already been doing therapy for 20 years in various settings. But I realized after a while of getting the doctorate and the license and that I, I, I wasn't saying these magical things in sessions. And so I figured I better write down some of the best things I've learned and repeat them regularly in therapy sessions and make a list of them. And I started with a list of three or four. And then I had my, my list and people would be talking in a therapy session and I would say, oh, that's rule number two. You were just blaming yourself. That, that's rule number two. It doesn't work. Because when I first <clears throat> started doing this, I, I had bottom line of rules. And about ten years ago, I realized, you know what? It's far better to live by observation than it is to live by belief or, or rules. So I changed the name to Bottom Line Observations. But if I were in a session and I said to somebody, oh, that's rule number three, they would say to me, what do you mean, rule number three? What are you talking about? And I would say, well, I have these rules I live by. And they'd say, well, they sound good. Can you, you know, are they written down someplace? Can I get a list? So I started... And by the time I actually typed them out and was handing them to people, I think I had four or five. Now, we're about a month away, maybe two months away from me finishing 49 years of doing therapy. And the list is only 10 items long. So I don't think I've gone hog wild. But over the years, for a lot of years, I only had six items on the list. And that covered a lot of things that was very useful, very helpful for people. And I'd say probably over the last 10 years, I've probably added only four more. So, so these are the observations. Observation number one, if whatever I'm doing is not working, I should feel free to try something else. Most people say, well, that's just common sense. And I say, thank you. That's what it's intended to be. And then the next thing I say to people is, that's the hardest item on this list. And they look at me funny and I say, listen, my assumption is when you come into my office that you're not sick, you're not crazy, you're not stupid, you're not lazy, and you don't enjoy pain. You're not masochistic. There is masochism in that sexual realm where people pair pain and pleasure to the point where they can't exactly achieve an orgasm or whatever unless they have a little pain going. And yet, 
in all these years of living life and doing therapy, I've never met the person that actively wanted to make their life miserable. So if you're not sick, you're not crazy, you're not stupid, you're not lazy, and you don't enjoy pain, what it means is everything you're doing, even those things that you go to a psychologist to get him or her to help you stop doing them, everything you're doing, you've got really good reasons for doing. And that's when they really look at me funny and they say, well, I I don't have any reason for doing this. That's I can't figure out why I do it, and I'm, I don't like the results, and that's why I'm here to see you. What do you mean I've got a reason for it? And I say, okay, that's where we talk about neuroscience. And neuroscience today tells us that if I really focus and pay attention for the next period of time, whether that be an hour or a day, a generous assessment says I'm going to be able to be aware of five out of every 100 thoughts that go through my mind. Dr. Michael Rice drives at something similar in the Reality Management Worksheet where he quotes the Harvard research that says in a period of time that 10,000 units of electrical activity are firing in the frontal lobes of your brain, you're only able to be aware of nine individual bits. In that same period of time, I am fond of telling people it's a conservative estimate that there's probably 20 trillion bits of data hitting your senses. Your brain is registering 10,000 of them, and your conscious awareness registers nine individual bits. So when I say, I don't have any good reason for doing this, but I keep doing it, what I tell people is, what that means is, in your conscious, rational, logical mind, you can't figure out why you do it. But in that 95% of your processing, your unconscious, your emotional belief system, your trauma energy, dynamics, etc., there are very solid reasons for doing what you do. And that's why it's so difficult to stop doing what I'm doing, even though it's not working, before I can even have the option to try something else. The second observation on the list is that blame is a luxury item. It does not lead to the productive or constructive resolution of a problem. I have seen kindergarten-age children who are expert at blaming, and yet I have never seen blame lead to the productive or constructive resolution to a problem. But we are trained, we are conditioned, we are brainwashed, so to speak, in this culture to try to blame either ourselves or somebody else or our circumstances for something in our life that we don't like, for anything in our life that we don't like. We'll blame God. We'll blame the other guy. We'll blame that country over there. We'll blame the opposite political party. We'll blame the other gender. We'll blame people who want to use gender at all for our upset or for anything in our life that we don't like. And since I have repeatedly observed and never once found a situation where blaming led to the productive or constructive resolution of a problem, I encourage people to catch themselves when they do that, interrupt that pattern, and put something else in its place that at least has a chance of being productive.
The third observation on the list is, I have observed after decades of trying, I finally woke up and realized that I've observed I can't make anyone do anything they don't want to do. I expound on this by saying I can't make a three-year-old quit crying or an eight-year-old pick up her room or a 15-year-old come home on time. I can't make my boss give me the raise I think I deserve and she thinks I don't. I used to, tongue-in-cheek, say to my patients, by the way, as a sidebar, if you have figured out how to make people do things they don't want to do, I will pay you to learn that trick. No one has ever taken me up on that. Observation number four, and this is where the rubber starts to meet the road and people's heads start to spin. Observation number four reads, I can only be responsible for and control my own emotions and reactions. I cannot control or be responsible for the emotions and reactions of anyone else, no matter how hard I try. Most of the time when I read that to somebody in a session, whether there's one, two, three, or five people in the session at that time, most of the time they're all nodding in agreement or saying, yes, oh, I already know that, and you're right about that, etc. And they're in that agreement phase until I ask them, do you realize that you just agreed to the fact that no one's ever made you angry, no one's ever made you feel sad, hurt, scared, offended, or confused in any way? And sometimes I get a very vehement response in the negative. No, that's not true. This person's really making me angry. This person really ruined my life and hurt my feelings, etc. So I slow it down and I read it again and I say, listen, if you agree with the fact that I can only be responsible for and control my own emotions and reactions and that I cannot control or be responsible for the emotions and reactions of anybody else, you're observing in that moment that no one else has the power to control or be responsible for your emotions and reactions. Sometimes it takes four or five repetitions to get through that, to get people to actually start observing it for themselves so they can see how the system works. And that's number four is as far as we usually go in the first session, and I start talking to people about, so now here are the tools we can use, like the reality management worksheet or the EFT tapping or the calming breath and the stepping back and observing or the questioning, how are things going to work out for the better here? These are the tools I can start using to understand what is the actual dynamic within me that creates the emotions and reactions that I've been trained to blame on others. And that's where when people step into this, these observations and these exercises, they really open the door for more liberty in their life, more flexibility, more positive options. Observation number five reads, my greatest strengths will at times be my greatest weaknesses, my greatest assets at times, my greatest liabilities. Now, sometimes when I read that to people, they have a very solid idea. They know exactly how that fits for them. And sometimes they got a very funny look on their face. And I've given a variety of different examples over the years. One of them uh, that just came to mind because I was just working with a young woman who has two children under the age of two, two and a half. 
let's say that you are a, a very, very well-organized, immaculate dresser, um, almost obsessive-compulsive in, in how neatly your house and your office are laid out, and there's a place for everything in your house and your office and your car, and everything is in that place, and whenever it gets out of that place, you correct that as quickly as possible. And you pride yourself on the efficiency with which you move through life and every time you pick up a tool, when you're done using it, you put it right back where it belongs, etc. It's been cleaned and dried, etc., etc. And then you have a couple kids. Now, in that situation, if you don't learn to get more flexible and less rigid and less absolutely focused on a place for everything and everything in its place, your life is going to be miserable or your relationship with your children is going to be highly contentious because children don't function that way. So that's an example of how someone's greatest strength, their ability to organize and their ability to keep everything neat and stay almost compulsively on top of that stuff, will start to create conflict and tension and upset within the person and between that person and their children or other family members if they can't loosen up. That's just one example. Observation number six reads, every day I'm alive, I become more and more like my parents. I expound on that here because it says, refusing to see this dooms me to live it without the possibility of change. Accepting this gives me the possibility to change my behavior as I see it happening. If I'm in the middle of making a statement that's just like my father would say, or ramping up in frustration or fear or anger the way my mother would, or X, Y, or Z, fill in the blank, and I see it happening, I can take a breath, turn my focus inside, and interrupt that pattern. If I don't catch it while it's happening, I can't change it. The corollary that's listed here on the sixth observation is this. Your children, my children, our children, will grow up to be more like us than anything we ever tell them we want them to be and they're going to grow up to be more like us than anything they want to be. So if I don't like what I see coming out of my children, the very best use of my energy is to focus on my energy, on myself, and work to become the kind of person I want them to be. Because another way to talk about it, and I say this to people, is a minimum of 80% of what anyone learns from me, especially my family members and children, a minimum of 80% of it is going to come from the modeling I do. It's going to come from them watching how I interact with people, how I accomplish things, and what those results are. Modeling, living by example, is 80% of how the teaching is done on this planet. Many of us know the symptom or the uh, the system 
of teacher who says, do as I say, not as I do. That is nowhere near as effective as a teaching model as I'm going to live my life the way I know is best. I'm going to be flexible. I'm going to be open to learn every moment of my days. I'm going to live that example. That's what people around me are going to learn. So most of what my children learn from me is not going to come from my grounding them or taking away an allowance or rewarding them with extra money when they get a higher grade in school. It's going to come from watching how do I handle life when it doesn't go the way I want. How do I offer to resolve conflict between myself and other people in my life? How do I deal with it when anger is up for me? That's 80% of what my children are going to learn. So if I start to see behavior coming out of my children that I don't like, the very best use of my energy is to work within myself to become the kind of person I would like them to be. Observation number seven says, when I deny or avoid the negative emotions and experiences in life, I cut off an equal amount of the potential for positive emotions and experiences. The corollary that's here is, the best way to smother the intimacy in a relationship is to avoid conflict and confrontation. Now, this seems paradoxical to a lot of people, but it's been my observation. I just throw it out there for something for you to observe. The last line here says, if I don't know how to turn confrontation into resolution, I can learn. There are books these days. There are YouTube videos. There are teachers. There are therapists who've studied this. There are ways to turn conflict and confrontation into integration, into resolution, into healing. I can choose to live my life in a numbed out state. I can choose to avoid feeling the negative emotions in life. I can do that by running away into drugs and alcohol. I can do that by running into blame. I can do that by sleeping too much. I can do that by buying things I don't need. I can do that by excessive exercising, extreme focus on the physical. And yet, when I do that, I don't just cut down the amount of negative or intense emotion experiences I have on the negative, what I would call the negative side of the spectrum, I also cut down the intensity of the positive emotions I'm able to experience. The eighth observation reads, what happens to me, in quotes, to, close quotes, to me, and around me in my life is not nearly as important as how I choose to interpret and respond to those events. What happens to me and around me in my life is nowhere near as important as how I choose to interpret and respond to those events. And here's where I bring out this thing that happened about 10 years ago. There was a 
tornado that went through Washington, Illinois. And I had a friend who lived down there, so I was paying attention to the news items. And when they let these people back into their neighborhood, because they had to evacuate, because power lines and gas lines and everything were disrupted, and rows of houses were flattened by these tornadoes. They had a news crew there, and they had a female reporter with a microphone, cameraman following her, and she went right up to this family that was standing out by the street at the end of a driveway. And at the other end of the driveway was a hole in the ground filled with rubble that used to be their house, literally just flattened by this tornado. And she went over there, and the mother and father and the kids were there, And she said, oh, isn't this horrible? And the family said, oh, we are just so grateful, you know. And she said, what do you mean? And they just said, well, we're all safe, and this is just stuff, and it can be replaced, and, you know, we're just blessed to be alive. Well, that's not what the news media wants to hear. So she said, okay, thank you very much. And she turned and walked down the street, just the next house over, and here's some people standing in front of the same picture. At the end of their driveway is a hole in the ground filled with rubble that used to be their house. And she said, how are you doing? And there's wailing and gnashing of teeth because all of the stuff that was lost that can't be replaced. And the news reporter said, but did you have insurance? And they said, yes, but all the pictures you can't get back and all the time to redo this and why is the Lord doing this to us and all of this negativity. And I use that as an example. This is why, and the things I've seen in my own life, why observation number eight is on this list. What happens to me and around me in my life is not nearly as important as how I choose to interpret and respond to those events and circumstances. Here are two families. They live next door to each other. They had exactly the same result. The tornado came and completely destroyed their homes. One of them chooses gratitude. The other one chooses confusion, hurt, and bitterness. All in the interpretation and choice of response. The ninth observation is, I will never be upset by anything anyone else ever says or does or refuses to say or do that I think they should, unless I'm still judging myself negatively for doing the same or similar things. I will never be upset by anything anybody else ever says or does or doesn't do that I think they should unless I'm still judging myself negatively for doing the same or similar thing. Maybe only in my thought and maybe even not, you know, maybe I haven't done it for decades, but always if I'm upset, it will be because I'm judging myself negatively for doing the same or similar thing. The only way to truly eliminate my upset is to dismantle the negative judgments against myself. And as I do that, I get to watch compassion take its place. And we have reality management worksheets for that process of dismantling my negative judgments against myself. We offer support for people to learn the emotional freedom technique, tapping, which is absolutely free. And people can use that to dismantle the negative judgments and negative energies they hold against themselves. And when they do that, 
and they see the roots of their negative judgments against themselves and they go back and build compassion for their younger self who when he or she did that was in pain fear or sadness and was driven to act impulsively or compulsively to avoid their pain they have compassion for themselves and then when they take a look at what's going on in their lives today and the person in the dynamic in front of them that minutes ago they thought was causing their upset all they feel is compassion for the other person today the last observation on the list says whenever I have a negative thought about myself or somebody else or a negative emotion whenever that happens I can instantly know three things number one it's false and a lie number two it's an old tape playing I am never upset about what is going on in this moment and number three if I act from that negative thought or negative emotion I will only make my situation worse I cannot possibly make my life better when I act from a negative thought or emotion I say to people this is like pouring garbage on the buffet table right before dinner it cannot improve the dining experience so as I take a break and a breath and think to how did I even get started and what was the prompt for me to pick up the bottom line observations today I'm drawing a blank but those are the bottom line observations those are available on as, as a download of a PDF on the MindShiftersAcademy.org website. I believe it's on the emotional or the educational materials page. And we have plenty of time to discuss any thoughts you might have about any of those observations. Five six three nine 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 three five eight one. As I take a, a breath here and think about it, I got a, a message from Jeannie that today's show will be live. So Michael and Jeannie will be here in about 17 or 18 minutes. And we have time. How does it strike you to hear this? If you've heard these before, is there something that you, you didn't, that didn't strike you that way this time? Is there a particular aspect of one of the ten bottom line observations that you you think you would struggle with or that you think is particularly useful for you five six three nine 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 three five eight one call that number press one on your phone tell us what you think I did also have a couple people yesterday or the day before and they wanted access to the recording from the Tuesday support group so I edited it down so a lot of the personal interaction from the group members in the first 45 minutes or so is taken out of it and I uploaded just that last oh I don't know whether it's almost two hours 
And it's on the MindShiftersAcademy.org website on the audio library page. It's the second file on that page. And that's the uh, support group recording where we listened to the Abraham talk where uh, I think it's titled The Biggest Missing Piece and then a replay of last Wednesday's, not yesterday's show, but last Wednesday's show, the Mind Shifter Radio show, where we were talking about how to make sense of the teaching that all events are neutral, how to apply that in my life in a productive way. So that's on mindshiftersacademy.org website on the page titled Audio Library, and it's the second file on that page. So 563-999-3581, call that number, press 1, let us know your thoughts about the topic so far today or anything else we've talked about recently. And of course, by recently... I mean anything in the past 12 years <laughs> of doing the Internet show. Area code 541. Is this Celinda? Yes, it is. How are you Welcome. this morning? I'm good. Yeah, I'm, beginning to feel, I'm beginning to feel like Susan. I, I want to wait and see if somebody else will respond. But when they don't, I feel... Um, that I would like to mention what I'm feeling listening to your programs and Dr. I mean Michael's programs um, this past couple of weeks. Uh, I love your observation sheet, and I'm especially grateful that you have expanded on it today, and I'm going to use it more. Um, any one of these questions can be a challenge for me. So um, thank you for that. You're welcome. Is there one in particular that you hadn't heard before or it strikes you slightly differently this time around? Um, I think my greatest strengths will let to be my greatest weaknesses. Have you identified some of your greatest strengths and then looked for ways where they might be holding you back because you rely on them exclusively? Uh, would be my my intelligence as you have so often uh, gently shared with me. And as I said, um, I have a difficult time knowing the difference between when I am teaching and when I am sharing. And I really I really relate to the self-righteous teacher. <laughs> I um, don't know if you're familiar with the book called The Color Code. And it's, uh, it doesn't ring a bell. Yeah. 
I need to talk about the four different personalities. I've had that book twice, and I'm thinking of getting it again um, because it was very helpful for me to try to expand my awareness at each each one of us, not that there are just four codes. We're mixtures usually. Each one of us tends to have um, difficulties communicating and relating to those that are of a different personality type than we are. Uh, And he happens to mention in there that the red code, which is kind of the CEO type, and the teacher code, which is kind of the um, self-right to the arrogant type and the self-righteous type uh, in their uh, negative states, um, when that combination is in one person, it is everybody goes through hell, including the person having that combination of both of those personalities. <laughs> I thought that was pretty funny. But he gives a real good list. That's very helpful to me. And as I said, I've given the book away three times to people. Uh, and I now, or just people in passing or friends, usually friends, um, and uh, I'm about ready to pick it up again because I find it is very helpful for these bottom line observations. And I would like to apologize if I were teaching yesterday or preaching uh, because I thought I was sharing. So when I shared the poem and my thoughts, and I hope that uh, it wasn't perceived as preaching, but yeah. I might well, have just let me let me just give you let me let me give you a little benefit of a life lesson that I have grown into over the years, which is I cannot control how I am perceived by others. Yes. So when you say I hope it was perceived this way or that way. It's okay to have that hope. I just want to raise the flag and let you know that all of the energy you're pouring into hoping that is wasted energy because now you're focused on something you have no control over. Far better for my own personal experience and my results is that I focus my energy on what is my intention And am I clear and pure in that intention as I take the action? Once I've already done the action, I can't change it. I can't, you know, modify my intention after the fact. I can't change the behavior after the fact. And if I spend much energy in this, boy, I sure hope, people perceive me this way or that way, I'm wasting that energy. Everybody's going to have their own perceptions. I don't have control over that. Bless their hearts. They're just like me. Some things sit nicely for them. Some things don't sit so nicely. So don't worry so much about how it came across to others. Share what you feel is of value shared in a way that feels right to you and then let it be you know i love 
quoting Paul McCartney. <laughs> Just <laughs> let it be. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yep. Well, I was, um, what I would like to discern again is the difference between being sorry and apologizing. And I, that was an, a very crude attempt to apologize. <laughs> right, right. But in the apology, you're making an inference about how it landed with other people. So you're focusing on, uh, unless, of course, someone has come to you and said, I was offended when you did this or that. So if that's happened and you want to have a conversation with somebody who's saying to you, I really didn't like this or I was offended by that, go to that person. But if no one has said that to you, if you're just worrying about it, then you could do yourself a big favor by tuning into the fact that you're spending a lot of mental energy on something you have no control over. That's and really good information. Yeah. That's very good information. <clears throat> okay. Because I would have never thought that I was focusing on that. And that's real You helpful. mean focusing on something you have no control over? Uh, you you never yeah, would have I thought that? As you as I you never focus on hoping how, that other people take something you said in a certain way? Uh-huh. Every time you focus on somebody else's reaction and you either hope for this or that or you want to change this or that, you're focused on something you have no control over. It's right there in the bottom line observations, number three and number four. I can't control other people's emotions and reactions, number four. I can only control and be responsible for my own emotions and reactions. I can't make anybody do anything they don't want to do. If somebody wants to be in offense, taking offense to something I've said or done, I can't control that. I can't make them choose otherwise. So every bit of my energy that I focus on those thoughts is energy I'm focusing on things I have no control over. By definition. And a large part of what I do with people in my work is trying to help them get better and better at identifying what do they actually have control over what is the mechanism that's creating their interpretation and response to life events? What is the mechanism that's creating their emotions? So that if they find themselves in a situation they don't like, they can focus on the things they actually have control over to change it for the better. That's fascinating. Uh, this is fascinating because the other day I... I realized in the middle of a worksheet that the bottom line issues go back again to 
being right, having my own way, and demanding a certain outcome. And this is, I think, they seem to all be linked together, and you're clarifying this for me more and more. Where am I leaking my life energy? Well, that would be one of them. You know, if I spend time hoping, wishing, trying to convince people to have a different response to me than what they've already chosen, um, that's an area where I can reclaim some of my energy. What are some of the others, Dr. Tim? Well, the weather outside, the traffic jam I'm stuck in, what my children choose to do, what anybody else chooses to do. All of these are things I have no control over, and when I focus energy on them, I'm, leech, as you said, leeching my energy out. I'm getting scattered. Bingo. I can't even begin to tell you how many people come into therapy sessions and they want me to help them get their partner, spouse or child or business partner, to be or do differently. And they've got it so beautifully rationalized. And they are so solidly frustrated when I won't join them in that. And I say, I can't help you change anybody. You can change yourself. I can show you tools and perspectives that will allow you an option to make changes in your life. You can't change another person. This person would be the perfect person for me. We could have such a wonderful relationship together if he or she would just do X, Y, Z. And I can't join them in that because that's all energy that's focused on things they have no control over, and they get very very stuck in that pattern when they keep focusing on things they have no control over. It's just like gravity on this planet. That's just how it works. So, thank you for the call and uh, the comments. That's the end of our first hour. I will mute you so you can listen in. And uh, I appreciate the call, and I will remind us all that we come from love. We're made of the stuff we call love. We actually are love, and everything else is false. And I will welcome Jeannie Rice. Thank you, Dr. Tim. I appreciate it. You're very welcome and deserving. Have a wonderful show. Thank you. So welcome, everybody, to the second hour of My Shifters Radio, and today is Thursday, March the 30th, 2023, and our calling number is 563-999-3581, and press 1, and that puts you in the queue to talk to us. We'd love to hear your comments and questions because that makes this your show. And I'll just, while I'm waiting on Michael to dial in, he and his brother actually went out to the store, and he's on his way back. But um, So he asked me if I could talk a little bit. So I'm going to expand on one of the things that Dr. Tim was just talking about in the observations. My greatest strengths will at times be my greatest weaknesses. 
and my greatest assets at times will be my greatest liabilities. And I have found, you know, just in this last week in uh, attempting to get things settled with my dad's estate and get arrangements made and we already had this vacation set up and some of the other family already had plans made and so there was just so many things that was um, had to be considered otherwise and yet my, what I call my OCD, <laughs> Michael says sometimes it can be OCB, the um, obsessive compulsive blessing and yet at times I think it is a disorder and it's just like for instance um, the church that my dad used to attend um, had written to me this morning and was like are you going to do a memorial here at the church for your dad and I was like well no we decided you know especially since there was a delay um, that we were just going to do graveside at the family cemetery and the part of me that wants to make everybody happy and make sure everything is organized and everything falls in place just right and and staying on top of it. And I, so I texted both of my brothers and I said, this is what I told the church, you know, do I need to say anything else or just leave it at that? I mean, it's kind of like I needed, um, I felt like I wasn't completing something and I needed validation from them that it was okay for me to leave it at that. And um, so it's, a you know, trying to find a different way of looking at the whole situation and, and letting go of some of the responsibility. And, you know, um, my brothers have said, you know, when we get together on Wednesday, you know, that they'll take over doing the farm account. You know, I can get that off of my plate. And so it's like, Okay, handing everything over and letting it go. <laughs> so anyway, if anybody has any um, input on that or advice for me, I am open to hearing it. <laughs> but uh, you know, it's it's just uh, challenging times and and um, trying to do everything right. And I think that's one of my, you know, it is one of my strengths that. I stick with a job, a task until I get it done and I do it what I would call right. There's, you know, few errors in that. However, um, realizing I can't control everything and can't control the way something is perceived and, you know, especially like the people of, of the church and, you know, there's part of me that, you know, I've had to do worksheets on this because it's like, you know, They've got a new preacher now, which is a lot different, but the preacher that they had before never came to visit Dad in the last three years, and, you know, very seldom did he hear from anyone. They didn't call or send a card or, or anything, so, you know, it's like part of me wanted to say, why should you be able to spend time with him now that he's dead? You know, it's like, and I have to work on, on that's my stuff, and uh, I didn't express that as why we're not doing it at the church, but that is part of the reason. And so, you know, I'm having to do worksheets on that because that is my stuff. So anyway, um, the lines are open, 563-999-3581. And press 1 if you would like to add something to that or, you know, um, just talk to me. 
<laughs> spending a few minutes time here until Michael can get dialed in. We did have a question come in, which I told Michael I would read once he got on the show. Uh, somebody asked a really good question. And so I'll share that once he gets on. However, in the meantime, somebody talked to me. Press one. Good at rambling and doing monologues, as Michael is. <laughs> so anyway, we have had a, a good time with Michael's family. His brother and, and his brother's girlfriend came down, and Michael J., uh, Michael's son, and his wife Jamie and the baby, Kaylee and Joe, uh, flew out. Ryan and Gabby flew up for um, four days. So, and then some of the uh, nieces and nephews all came up just for one day, or I guess came down. They came from Canada. And so, you know, we've had a good time taking pictures. And then last night it started snowing. Really done a whole lot of quote-unquote work. And so he's a little behind on his article. But he'll be getting that, and we'll get it out on the website uh, probably within a couple days of getting back home. And uh, so anyway, love to hear from you. Make it a whole lot easier than talking to myself here. I hope that I'm coming across. I hope that you're hearing me. So anyway, so if you go to whyagain.org, uh, we're going to also be updating pictures on um, our garden that we're doing. You know, we're planting native wildflowers that are native to Virginia, to the area that that we're in. And um, that's supposed to be the most beneficial thing you can do to bring in the pollinators for the other plants, for the vegetables and things like that. And we're updating pictures and, and putting those out on the website. You'll be able to see how our garden is going, how the... Uh, what they call it, um, National Park, Homegrown National Park. And so we'll have that in their backyard. So you'll be able to see how that's going, and hopefully it'll inspire you, even if you just live in an apartment and have just a balcony to be able to grow and help your environment, to help you by growing your own food. And so hopefully that will help inspire you for that. So 563 Three five eight one and press one. Um, if you have any questions on, you know, the the newest worksheet, um, which has been simplified a little bit, it is out on the website. And the easiest place to find all the worksheets is to um, click on the Start Here button. Had someone the other day that was attempting to find the PowerPoint presentation. So if you click the Start Here on the website, then it will take you, the first things you'll see will be um, direct links to take you to the latest worksheets. And then there are some videos on how to navigate both the app and the website. Then when you scroll on down, there's chapter 24, and then there is the PowerPoint for Aramaic Forgiveness. Is uh, When you click that, you'll be able to do several things. One, there's the PowerPoints now in Thai. Thank you, Tipia. But if you click on the, the main PowerPoint, it will take you to where you can actually download that as a Microsoft PowerPoint onto your own computer. There's also the script to it and um, then the YouTube presentation with the audio from Bill Costantino. And then there's also a, a presentation on Vimeo. So you can get all of those right there. And then there's um, all the other 
you know, below it is the many versions of the wake-up sheet. And also, there's an adaptations by other Y teachers. So if you have an adaptation to the worksheet, send it to Michael, and, and then once he gives the okay on it, then I'll put it on the website as an adaptation by uh, one of the YGEN teachers. We're still looking at Heartland for this summer. Um, that hasn't been solidified. There's been so much else going on. However, we've had several people say they're interested in doing the Food Fund Forgiveness and Work. And the dates that we're looking at, I've got this on the website as well. If you click under Schedules in Heartland Season 2023, um, it will take you to the events page. And there you'll see that what we're tentatively looking at is doing the first part of July, the 16-day Food Fund Forgiveness and Work. And that's getting the buildings and the grounds and everything ready. Uh, there's work projects during the day, breathing on Saturday. There's uh, classes each evening. And we set it up so that people only need to take two full weeks. It won't break up a week. And there's a few days in between, and we're looking at doing the nine-day Y and potentially the nine-day teacher's training following that if there's enough people interested. The Steiner-Waldorf group had, excuse me, had decided not to use the facility. I think they had some issues with all of their people getting signed up for it. And so they're not going to be using uh, Heartland this year but that's a potential for the future. And so anyway, if you're interested in participating in any of that, uh, even Julie from Spain, um, the one Julie that used to be in Oregon and she's now in Spain, she said they're gonna be stateside and uh, potentially that she could participate in the food fund as well. So if you're interested in that, please let us know. And other than that, looking at the schedule, we have of course the second and fourth Thursday of the month uh, is the book club. And I believe that London has now switched over. Therefore, a couple of weeks, we were only four hours difference, and now I think we're back to five. And then, uh, and actually, uh, no, this is the fifth Thursday. And then the third Saturday of each month, we do Still Point Breathing. So those are both listed on the website under schedule. So if you're interested in either of those, please let us know. And I see Michael has joined us. I'm not sure if he's ready to talk yet or not, but um, I am. When he is, oh, okay. Well, um, I'm here. I, if you want, if you want to do an introduction or something, and then we do have a question. I'm actually flipping over to that other email so that I can get it. Okay. Well, let's go for the question. I'm ready to All rock right. and roll. We're out here in Snowland and. Got some errands done, getting ready to travel tomorrow. All right. so. uh, let me scroll down. Okay. Uh, they said, um, I had sent them information on where to find the PowerPoint video. And they said, one question about the process. In Michael's early, very early videos, he talks about the deciding factor regarding our perception being uh, regarding our perception conscious level is the JS the judgment system later videos he says goals of the deciding factor i'm just wondering why the change and whether the judgment system still plays an important role in our perception and they would like to understand the difference or or the change 
Okay. Cool. It's a good question. Obviously, whoever's asking, who was it that asked? They didn't sign it, so I don't know. Oh, okay. Well, in any event, uh, the, um, the, the judgment system would be a record in the mind of judgments that we hold from the past. And that wouldn't be just our lives, but literally the generations. So the first answer the mind gives is going to come from the judgment system, which storehouse of data. And I, I don't recall anywhere in the past where I've thought of that as what decides what behavior is going to be or what reality is going to be constructed by the mind. The automatic decision system ties right in with that. And decisions in mind are a result of resonance. And so if I say don't think about the color of your car, I just set up a resonance around the idea of the color of someone's car and the automatic decision system kicks in with whatever resonates in the mind about the color of one's car. In fact, I've had people in a workshop say, well, I'm not thinking about it. I was like, oh, really? What is it you're not thinking about? If you're not to think about it, you know, resonance took over saying, don't think about the color of your car. The don't part doesn't mean anything. It's the body of the statement. And that's where regulatory speech comes in and becomes an important key. So there's a database there. The driver, so this would be the distinction for me. And if this isn't clear enough, I'd love to have a conversation. You can call into the show and, you know, we can hone it right in uh, to the, the most refined points that you're, you're looking for. And maybe uh, I'll learn something and maybe you'll learn something from it. So perception being a construct of the mind reflects what's in the judgment system and served up by the automatic decision system. So that's the underlying factor. Now, the goal that's presented, the goal that someone commits to or accepts as active in their mind is the driver for that process. You remember we talked about the Harvard research that shows that in a time frame where 10,000 brain cells are firing, the max amount of data that goes into conscious awareness is nine bits. So imagine you've got a database of 10,000 pieces of information rattling around perhaps trillions of bits of information below that, at the root of that, but 10,000 that come into some level of activity. And then what this research at Harvard showed is that in that time frame where 10,000 units of electrical activity are happening in the brain, the max amount of data that goes into conscious awareness is nine bits. The actual lab stats were seven plus or minus two. So nine bits of data is all that goes into structuring our conscious perceptual reality. And the thing that selects or becomes the resonating factor is the goal. You know, if you're receptive to what I say and I say, don't think about the color of your car, you've unconsciously accepted a goal and something about the color of your car is going to resonate within you. And if I'm doing a worksheet, determining the exact, as specific a goal as I can come up with is going to refine the process and, and strengthen the ability to go to the deepest levels of healing in any given worksheet. 
So let's say I've got a situation where my mind tells me I'm upset with Bill because Bill didn't pay me what he owed me. So my goal might be just simply for Bill to pay me. And if that truly is the goal that's driving my perception, I've got all kinds of rage or sadness or whatever it is around Bill not paying me, then by canceling that goal, the driver for that construct of upset that my mind tells me is about Bill, it really isn't about Bill. It's my upset projecting as my brain's image of Bill. So, but that might not really be the goal, even though the circumstance is Bill, I, and not being paid. The goal might be the real underlying goal, and that's why sometimes it takes many, many worksheets to get to the root of something. You know, in a general way, I want Bill to pay me. That's a goal, and that, that fits with the circumstance. But actually, what really might be going on for me is that when somebody doesn't honor me by paying me, I feel like or I think I've been dishonored, and therefore I'm angry. So that tells me that I've got an issue in the file in my mind about being dishonored, and there's anger in there. So I say, Bill makes me angry when he doesn't pay me. But what I'm really saying is I have anger in my unconscious mind, maybe goes back 20 generations, and it's about not being honored. It might be about not being taken care of. You know, money being paid might be survival to me. So it might be a survival issue. It's like Bill, you know, doesn't support me living you know, it, it could be a thousand variations on the theme, and that's why the exact goal is the key because it's literally the driver through resonance that recruits whatever the unconscious data is that contributes to my upset. So when I cancel that goal for Bill to honor me, then I get to drop into another level of healing beyond just I want a Bill to pay me. And then when I process through that, the next layer of worksheet might be about Bill not paying me is a threat to my survival. And so I might end up you know, on that third worksheet down the list, I might end up doing a worksheet around survival. And it might be that you know my, my real thinking is that Bill doesn't support my survival or is a threat to my survival. And so when I cancel the goal to survive, then I get to drop into that file in my mind where that pain is around survival. And again, it might be 20 generations old, or it might be when I was two. You know, there's, there's, there's no way, well, I shouldn't say there's no way. It's not likely that memory is going to take you back to what it is that needs to be ultimately dealt with. But you do have to go back to that. So, Going back to what's the core of this issue, and you know, in doing worksheets with people for the last, uh, you know, forty plus years, it always amazes me what kind of different things when people cancel the goal, they drop into in terms of what they've been unconscious of. And so, when I the reason I cancel the goal is not because I don't want, you know, I don't want to survive. It, it isn't because uh, I'm, you know. Any, it isn't anything to do with the goal, except that the goal is the driver 
that recruits or causes my mind to use certain data. So it's the key way into healing that part of my mind. So I'm not canceling a goal because I don't want it. You know, I do that worksheet on survival. I do that worksheet on being paid. And, you know, when I'm finished with it, if I clean that part out of my mind, I may go back and reestablish the same goal. I want Bill to pay me. But now when I load the goal for Bill to pay me, it doesn't resonate this unconscious part that has all kinds of pain and trauma in it. And so I have a clearer mind. And I can put an end to the conversation about somebody or something outside of me being the cause of what's moving inside of me. And I can touch directly into what underlies my pained perception. So it's not about, and I, I talked to somebody the other day and they were like, well, but you told me I'm not supposed to have any goals. It's like, no, 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 no. That's a total nothing ever like that. In fact, it was a, someone I was talking to and we were talking about family situations. Like, you know, you said never have any goals for your family. It's like, no, I, wait a minute. I have a thousand goals for my family. That's perfectly appropriate to have goals for your family to have plans for your family. The, the idea is that if you load that goal in your mind as a current event and it resonates upset out of the judgment system, then by canceling that goal, I collapse the end result of that resonance in my unconscious. I collapse that and that opens a passageway into that part of my unconscious. Now, forgiveness has fulfilled its purpose. The returning your point to the place where the original event happened is not, again, a function of memory. It's a function of forgiveness. When I forgive, my mind will automatically drop into the place that my conscious pained perception is sourced from in my own unconscious. Otherwise, you know, I'm wading through, you know, trying to remember this deep, dark, dirty thing that happened in my past. It's like never going to happen. You can lay on the couch for 20 years and you might get a little piece here and a little piece there. But, you know, it can take years and years and years. Whereas using the forgiveness process, because going back to the point where the original error occurred is a function of forgiveness. This perception that contains my pain comes directly from that part of me that's got a, a dissociated pain. And when I cancel the goal, it opens a passageway right into that, to the original root of that. Now, when I do touch into the original root, I may have a full-blown cognitive memory of the event. That often happens. And I may not have a full-blown cognitive memory, but energetically I'll process, I'll come back into direct relationship with the underlying pain or trauma and be able to breathe and hold the space of love and process through it, transmuting that pained perception or the root of that pained perception. So I hope that uh, gets to where you're coming from and where you're going with that question. And if it doesn't, again, you know, you're certainly welcome. If you don't have the opportunity to key into the radio show, you're certainly welcome to write back any response you have, and we'll take it up again on the show, or we could have a one-on-one -on -one conversation, which would, you know, probably accelerate through the fine points of what it is that you're looking for. And I'm delighted that you're contemplating and doing the work on the level where you even have the brain cells to ask a question like that. That's awesome. Clearly, you're doing your work. So, sweet. 
Powerful. Any thoughts for you on that topic, Jeannie? Anything to add to that? No, I think that's good. So any other questions in uh, our uh, app or from emails? or? That's all I have gotten so far. Okay. I was well, just do we have anybody in the phone? In the... Oh, go ahead. I was just saying, um, I was explaining earlier to everyone that uh, depending on interest, um, that Heartland is still a possibility this year. And um, that, you know, even Miss Julie from Spain is contemplating being part of it. And cool. to let us know sooner than later. And um, that you were working on an article, but that things had been a little bit busy and <laughs> sidetracked. And yeah, so hopefully we've had a lot when going we get on. back home, that, yeah, that that'll get finished. Get settled back in. Get caught up. Yeah, hopefully, except for Wednesday when we do dad service, um, we should be live the rest of the week. Thank you all for putting right. up with us doing recordings so often. Well, you know, I think the recordings, the simple, the simple fact that you're picking out some of the best of the best, I think the recordings playing are just as valuable as a live show, even if it was a recording that somebody listened to when it originally played two years ago, or eight years ago, or ten years ago, twelve years ago. Uh, if you heard it the first time, then it'll have a whole different level and layer of meaning. So, so I think it, the the uh, repeating shows are are a gift that uh, really keep on giving. So, do we have any in the phone queue with a hand up, or anything happening in the chat room? No, it is all quiet. Well, if you're out there in listener land. And you're listening on one of these stations, one of those stations where we can't see you. Our calling number is 563-999-3581. And if you call that number, you'll be listening to the show. And then if you push one, that will raise a hand in the control panel and we'll be having a conversation. So if you are out there in the, uh, in the world of listeners, we're appreciating the fact that you're there and that uh, we're here wide open and ready for thoughts or questions. Has anybody got a question for us? Something? To clarify in terms of the forgiveness process or any of the corollary tools? There are no hands. Okay, well, I'd come across a piece of writing that was kind of interesting about... uh, what's being called the adult child syndrome, which seems like a little bit of an oxymoron. And one of the challenges a lot of times that I see in doing what's been called things like inner child work is that there's a tendency for that to put the issues that need to be resolved that were, you know, in many cases uh, initiated in childhood to put us another arm's length away from it because, well, that's my inner child. I've heard people say, you know, not owning that they're in upset or disturbance, but my inner child is in disturbance or upset. And so for me, it creates just another barrier, another way of separating. But I I think it's, you know, pretty close to the, the, the track that here we are as adults and many people are still dealing with the things that happened in, uh, in childhood. And, you know, that all tends to go right back to the power person dynamic 
And, you know, we have people who are children of alcoholics, addicts of all kinds, uh, hostility addicts, narcissistic, traumatized parents, depressed parents, um, parents who lived in a, a world where they were simply numbed out to everything, workaholic parents. That's It's like workaholism in this culture is looked at as, wow, isn't that awesome? That person works 80 hours a week and makes all kinds of money and they're successful. Uh, talk to their families and see if working 80 hours a week is really a successful adult. And my offering would be no, but it's it's a result of those things that were modeled in childhood. You know, borderline psychotic parents, abusive parents, uh, literally criminal parents are all issues that uh, that adults get to deal with. And when we we can cut through the core of so much of that by understanding the uh, power person dynamic and the pattern of disempowering oneself modeled by the power person and then just replicating that disempowerment, even though the power person is no longer around, is something that comes from that power person dynamic in childhood um, to say growing up in some sort of a, a tyrannical uh, environment where one was invalidated and so one automatically assumes that they're invalid because they've been invalidated so many times by the people they trust or they should be able to trust like parents uh, that maybe weren't so trustworthy and when one grows up in those situations and begins to identify with that person who's not functioning as a human being, then waking up to that dynamic within oneself and being able to literally remove those dynamics from the mind becomes a really big key in the healing process. If one adapts to and takes on the message that the power person gave them, they usually for most of their lives will go into codependent relationship with others that they can blame for the way they're behaving and the way they're acting. You know, I'm only angry because you made me angry. I'm only afraid because you made me afraid. And that person will oftentimes then use the very tactics that the power person used on them with the person that they're in relationship with. And the whole issue is something that, once again, needs to be forgiven. So these um, dynamics can operate in every area of one's life and just relationships in their social lives and professional academic life and, of course, family life. Oftentimes, people who have, it's been documented that people with these kinds of issues end up being in the uh, the helping professions, you know, psychologists, um, educators, healthcare, therapists. And many of the traits that they've incorporated are those that came from the interaction with the power person. Oftentimes the desire to heal the power person 
can be a motivator for going into the healing professions. One can get stuck in overthinking things. And oftentimes, children who shouldn't be required to think to think in a way or to use their minds in a way that they have to figure things out to survive. If they have to do that early, then it tends to stunt the ability to be flexible in other areas. Because, and, and survival doesn't necessarily mean physical survival. It can be psychological survival. You know, the, the parent who's abusive and threatens the, the fabric of the child's psyche ends up reflecting, their behaviors end up reflecting in that, that, that child's life as they grow and are stuck intellectually at the level that the power person was functioning. When the, you know, if, if you spot yourself in any of that, it can be really important to recognize that while as a child it seemed like figuring it out was the key to survival, forgiveness needs to come to the forefront because carrying on a life, trying to figure everything out, is one of the ways to shut down creative capacity. So one tries to sort things out intellectually that really shouldn't need to be sorted out intellectually. And when forgiveness is applied, literally the underlying dynamics of that are simply exposed to love and changed, literally transmuted. In a a world where a child grows up and is accepted for who they are and, and what people would call their imperfections, there aren't imperfections at all. They're just the unique person that that is. And, you know, some of one's characteristics might be, you know, that, that people would disapprove of. And yet, here's a human being that simply needs to be embraced in love with their weakness and their weaknesses and their foibles as well. And so that becomes a, a necessary characteristic to develop for yourself, by yourself, to be able to accept the faults and rather than striving to have to do everything perfectly or to have to do everything, to be able to sit back and take care of yourself alleviates the stress. And remember that stress is created by goals. And if the goal is I have to be perfect, I have to do everything because that's the only way I get to survive with my power person or that's the only way I get my power person's approval then one overloads themselves, which leads to all kinds of assaults to their own bodies. And it's time to get free of those dynamics. And of course, the key tool is looking at, at any given moment, what's the goal that's driving my mind? And instead of functioning out of fear, power control, then 
by really identifying the goal that's driving those behaviors, uh, a whole dynamic that maybe has been going on in the family system for generations can be literally removed in a matter of seconds. The difference being is a what one would call a constructive behavior being done out of a constructive purpose and a mind connected to love, that could be a wondrous, healthy behavior for somebody to do. The same behavior motivated by fear of, of loss or fear of attack or fear of disapproval can lead to deeper disease processes. And that's where letting loose of the judgments on self and taking care of self becomes such a key. If one has a tyrannical voice inside of their heads, they often project that tyrannical voice on someone else, but the voice that they're listening to, while they think it's their own, is really their power person. And so these all become dynamics that ultimately one would pick up and do a worksheet around in order to drop into the underlying layers, and Ginny mentioned the last week or so, a particular passage in the Course in Miracles that says, you may wonder why you must look upon your hatred and realize its full extent when you look at the Course in Miracles. And many people look at the Course and it's all supposed to be lovey-dovey, but you know, it, it's really clear that if there's hatred in there, you better take hold of it. You better allow yourself to be with it and process through it. And that particular lesson talks about the reason for that is because what's going on in the surface mind isn't what it's about. It's what's underlying it. And there's where the first century Aramaic forgiveness process becomes so powerful because it allows one to drop into the underlying dynamic in, in the most reliable, the fastest way that I know of anywhere on the planet. So make sure that, you know, if any of that, if, if any of that resonates for you, that you establish some goals for taking care of yourself. And if you were punished for stepping up and doing something, and I remember when Michael J. was small, my son, we had him in a particular school that was supposed to be a really awesome school. And after just a few days, and this is when he was probably five, five or so, five or six, he would literally, I mean, if I was ushering him or walking him into the classroom, he'd, he'd be pushing against the doorframe. No, 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 I don't want to go. And up to that point, he had just loved learning. The next day, I went back to the school and I sat in the school, in the classroom with you know, just in the background. And what I observed was that Michael had, you know, there'd been several days in you know, in the classroom at the beginning of the year, and he'd noticed that at a particular time, there was intermission and snack time. And what I watched was Michael J. getting up, when that process started to happen without having to be told to and going and washing his hands to get ready for snack. 
And the teacher, sort of in a terse voice, sat him back down and said, no, and made him wait for all the other kids to wash their hands and get their snacks and then forced him to go back up and wash his hands again. He'd taken an initiative. You know, he knew what was going on, and so was, but no, no, This the, the rules require that you wait for the teacher to tell you, you know, like the ultimate of a control trip. And many times kids are brought up in that kind of an environment, and, you know, there's a hesitance to take responsibility for choices or to, to take an initiative because they were punished for it. So there's all the different kinds of dynamics that can go on under the surface that if they're forgiven, then one can go back to their original intelligence, their original being, and function from that because they haven't internalized the punishment dynamic or the disapproval dynamic, whatever it was. You know, if, if you were, had a power person, that no matter what you did, it wasn't good enough, it was disapproval. And notice how often, you know, you bring out disapproval toward others. And that's just a reflection of the internal dynamic that when forgiven, you can watch somebody that does something that you go, oh, you know, that isn't the way I do it, but you can be with it and hold a space of love for it and, you know, move on rather than having to go into, you know, giving the lecture about why it's disapproved of. So there's just some of the dynamics that happen in childhood that ultimately when we become aware of it as adults, we realize that some of those childhood realities, things formed in the mind in early, early life can take over and run our lives. And the objective here is that nothing from the past can run your life, that you're always literally wide awake, functioning as love and functioning out of full awareness of the actuality of what's happening in the environment and creatively interacting in a way that as you're doing the highest and best that you're capable of, rather than being restricted by some old reality, some generational pattern in the mind. So that would be um, sort of a synopsis of some of the work of what's oftentimes called inner child work, dealing with the dynamics that come from childhood. And it can be a powerful way to open a space within yourself for a whole new level of aliveness, of joy, of function, of creativity. And, of course, that process of recognizing at any point, and, you know, when I do the forgiveness process, I don't have to be thinking about or I don't have to be in an experience that happened 20 years ago to have something triggered into activity and go, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to literally sit down and do a worksheet on this thing that happened 20 years ago. Go back and be that person and allow yourself to go through that process. And it just opens It'll open all kinds of dynamics and literally remove the interference patterns from the past generations that inhibit full aliveness at every moment of your life. And that quite literally is the purpose of this whole body of work. So we're delighted to be here having a conversation with you and wonder, does that resonate anything for you? What's happening? What's moving in your mind? What's moving in your life? Is there anything we can do to support you? Questions, thoughts, answers, ideas? Again, our call-in number, if you're on one of those stations where we can't see you in our control panel, it's 
888-999-3581. Call that number. You'll be listening to the show directly on your phone. And then if you push one, that'll raise a hand in the control panel, and we'll be having a conversation. So, Ms. Janie, do we have anybody to have a conversation with out there? We do not. It is all quiet. Okay. Well, if you're out there in listener land and you have a thought for us, please push one. Let's talk about it. If you're free of questions of any kind and there's nothing we can do to support you at this point, seeing as how we are on this uh, outing with family right now, I'm pretty much complete with what I had wanted to present. And so if nobody has a question, then I think we'll close the show out just a little bit early, seeing as how we've got family here from Canada, and uh, we're just kind of hanging out and getting ready for some lunch. So last call for a hand up if you're out there in listener land. Any thoughts, questions, answers, ideas? Anything else for you to add, Jeannie? No, I'm complete. Okay. Well, let's close the show out a little early, and uh, thank you, everybody, for joining us, and we'll look forward to seeing you well. Uh, tomorrow is Friday. I'll be playing a show be tomorrow. Playing we'll a be show. on the road. Yeah, so we'll see you on Monday. Blessings. Thank you for listening to Mind Shifters Radio with Dr. Michael Rice and myself, Jeannie Rice, and Dr. Tim Hayes and Michelle Pache as we present the first century Aramaic internal process of forgiveness. We are here for two hours every Monday through Friday from 12 noon to 2 o'clock Eastern Time on Mind Shifters Radio. For more information on Aramaic forgiveness, please visit www.whyagain.org. That's www.whyagain.org.